The rest of you, please get out your Bibles, if you have one, or a cell phone where you can find it. You're welcome to look at it in the language you understand best. And we are working our way through 2 Peter. Verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, I was telling a friend of mine in Cambodia this morning, he's a, he's a preaching missionary over there and I'm a preaching missionary over here and we pray for each other on Sundays and I said, isn't it wonderful that we don't have to make up something interesting to say? So glad I don't have to think of a good motivational talk to give you every week. All I have to do is take the bread he's given us and break it and pass it out and he promises to feed our faith using it. 2 Peter chapter 2, the book of 2 Peter is under the title of Escaping Corruption. You see it there on your screen. Uh, The corruption that's in the world by evil desires. And Peter says in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1, that we escape corruption by partaking in the divine nature through faith in God's precious promises. So believing what God has said makes us partakers in the divine nature so that we know him better and better and add to our saving faith seven things. Let's see if you can say them with me. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Hey, some of you are getting it. I'm going to keep saying it. Today... We're looking at verses 4 through 10 of 2 Peter chapter 2, and I hope you have your Bible open because I want to say what the Scripture says, and you can see it right there in front of you. I'd like to read these verses again, 2 Peter 2, 4 through 10, under the topic, Wrath or Rescue. Wrath or Rescue. If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment... If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on the ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, For for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Corruption is increasing. Corruption grows day by day like mold in your bathroom or disease. Little Malachi Greaves had a strain of E. coli bacteria that invaded his body until his organs shut down. Nothing would stop it until the hospital found a way to keep him alive long enough where the antibiotics, I suppose, have kicked in and now his kidneys need to strengthen and his body is recovering from this corruption that had taken over physically in his body. 
That's what sin is doing in the world. Things are not getting any better. Matthew 24, 14 says that the increase of wickedness will cause the love of most of us to grow cold. Wickedness increasing. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. This is in the day of Noah. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. That's just a few generations after he made the world and said it was all good. And so he flushed it all and started over with Noah and his wife and their family. Great wrath is coming over this corruption. Holy fire is promised in the end. We're going to talk about that in chapter 3. Only what is fireproof, only what is hidden in Christ, like Noah and his family in the ark, will be saved. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Peter is taking three stories from the Old Testament that he's heard all his life. He loves the Bible like we do. And in juxtaposition to the false teachers who teach from cleverly devised myths, we've talked about that, who made up fabricated stories, Peter's saying, well, here's some true stuff. Here's some true stories that happened that show what's going to happen and what God can do for the righteous. And he tells three stories. He tells the story of Lucifer, the story of Noah, and the story of Lot. And we're going to look at those three stories this morning. But first, I want to encourage you with something, and that is that the Bible interprets the Bible. Peter is using the Bible to make his point. In fact, he's authorizing his own letter as a part of the Bible by talking about Paul's writings and the Old Testament, saying, drawing parallels between the Scripture. And brother and sister, if you don't read the Bible all the way through, you will not understand most of it. The Bible interprets itself. It's a story all the way from the beginning of time to the end of time and talks about the golden thread of redemption running right through the cross at the center. I want to encourage you to make an effort to know the whole counsel of God because the Bible interprets itself. And Peter is teaching us that by using these Old Testament stories. First of all, well, I wanted to say that this week the Holy Spirit convicted me about using the NIV. So, or, this is the ESV. This is my Bible, and it's in the English Standard Version, which I like better as a translation. The philosophy is a little better. I feel like I understand the Greek better when I read this version. But Calvary's chosen to use the New International Version. And up till now, I've prepared my messages from my Bible because I like it better. But this week, the Lord convicted me on that because we believe the words are important. So I've been studying this week from this passage, the NIV, and I will continue to do that as long as I'm here. First of all, the story of Lucifer. This is a difficult one because we don't have it explicit in the Old Testament. It happened before the beginning, before Genesis 1-1. Lucifer and his demons had already fallen from heaven. So we have glimpses of it. We have reflections of it. I think the most important is in Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn there, Luke 10 17 to 20, 
Uh, the 72 that Jesus has sent out two by two are coming back and they're rejoicing that the demons have to, uh, have to obey them. It says the 72 return with joy. This is Luke 10, 17. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. There's a clue. That happened, and the Lord Jesus saw it. He goes on, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, which means you are safe from the devil and his angels and the punishment that is reserved for them. So we know this happened, and I think that's what Peter's referring to because Peter heard the Lord say this. He was there when Jesus said that. But let's look back in the Old Testament to two passages where this is referred to in what we call the telescopic principle of prophecy. What does that mean? Many prophecies are focused on something near the prophet, either future or past, but also farther away, and sometimes two or three layers. So Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, is talking about a pagan king of his time, but he's also, through the Holy Spirit, carried along by the Holy Spirit, like we've talked about, talking about Lucifer falling from heaven. Listen, Isaiah 14, 12, 13, and 14. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will rise, raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. And here's the key. I will make myself like the most high. From these pieces, we piece together a prehistoric story of the mutiny of Lucifer and those who followed him who tried to rise up and be God, be another God, maybe take over God's throne. We don't know exactly what those details are, but then was cast down. And that's a little more clear in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 to 17. And as, as far as we know, these are the primary prophecies that refer to this story. Ezekiel 28, 11 to 17 says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now we know the king of Tyre was not in Eden. So as soon as it says that, your mind should say, well, now wait a minute, this is hyperbole for the king of Tyre. It's true about the king of Tyre, but God is using that situation and that prophet to say something else, bigger, broader, more significant for history, for all of us, and it's specifically about the fall of Lucifer. You were in Eden. You know that the devil embodied a serpent, tempted Eve, and brought the first sin, which then made, caused the fall of all mankind. Every precious stone adorned you, continuing in verse 13 of Ezekiel 28. Carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and 
mountings were made of gold. On the day, on the day you were created, they were prepared. Now here's a clue. Lucifer is not God. God made Lucifer. God made the, made the devil, made Satan, allowed him to fall for his glory in redemption. He was created. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, verse 14, for so I ordained you. God ordained him. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created, all wickedness was, till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Peter heard Jesus say, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. It was this catastrophic change in the population of heaven where Lucifer and who knows how many legions of angels also fell with him. And Peter's saying, God judged the very angels who lived with him in heaven. He will not spare the wicked. That's his point. God does not cover, pass over uh, unpaid sin. He judges even angels in, as in the case of Lucifer. And in verse 5, Peter moves to another story, the story of Noah. God judged the ancient world by a worldwide flood, but Noah and his family were rescued from God's wrath in the ark. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6 again. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, reading down through about 14. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people in his time, he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They were all married, by the way. Those are the seven people that Peter talks about. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives, and Noah's wife. Make seven, so eight total. Now the earth was corrupt. There's our corruption. In God's sight, and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. I think the old version said gopher wood. Why does God predict what he's going to do. Why not just erase everybody and start all over? Isn't that what you do, kids, when you're drawing a picture and you mess it up? Just ball it up, throw it away, and start again. God's purpose is redemption. God's purpose is rescue. God's purpose is promising and having his people believe the promise and act like Noah did. See, Noah's walking in righteousness before God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord to receive the promise. This is the promise. Noah, I'm going to destroy everybody. But I'll save you in an ark. Build an ark. 
And Hebrews 11 says Noah believed it. How did he prove his belief? He got his axe, he went out and he cut down a tree, and he started planing the wood to make a boat in his backyard of all the crazy things. It had never rained in the history of the world, and yet God says, I'm going to flood everything. Hebrews 11:7. by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Friends, that's where we are today. God promises that wrath is coming. Judgment is coming. There is not a single sin that will not be paid. His just and holy fire will melt the elements. That's what Peter promises in, verse, in chapter 3. He's warned us. And he's given us an ark in Christ with the door open for now for us to run to safety in Jesus because we believe that wrath is coming and we deserve the punishment that Christ took for us. We could stop and go home right now. But Peter doesn't stop. He goes on to Lot. Verses 6 and 7 is about Lot. It says if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, and if he rescued Lot. So Lot was Abraham's fatherless nephew. Lot's, or Abraham's brother Haran died, leaving Lot, and Abraham took him in. He said, all right, you live with me. I don't have any kids. You go with me to Canaan. And Lot traveled with Abraham to the land that God would show him. They both became rich. In fact, they had so many servants and so many flocks and herds that Abraham finally calls Lot and says, hey, you got to go one way and I'll go the other. And in the culture, as the older man, Abraham could have said, I'm going over there. You figure out where you're going. But he didn't do that. As the father of faith and grace, Abraham said, you choose which way you're going to go and I'll go the opposite way. And what did Lot do? He looked at the valley of the Jordan where Sodom and Gomorrah were and said, wow, looks good down there. I think I'll go over there. And Abraham went the other way and stayed in the desert near Hebron. Of course, you know the story. One day, three visitors come to Abraham and he feeds them a meal. And they reveal to him what their plan is. Again, we see God's mercy in prophesying judgment. They say, Abraham, we're here to check out some bad news about Sodom and Gomorrah. God has heard how wicked these places are. You can read about this in Genesis 18 and 19. One, one of those three visitors disappears. We don't know what happens to him. I think it was Jesus in his resurrected body breaking back into the timeline. You know, if he can go through walls in his resurrected body, I think he can visit history wherever he decides. In the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or having dinner with Abraham at his tent. And Abraham, a little different from Moses, I mean, Noah intercedes for people. Remember, he says, God, will you destroy the righteous along with the wicked? What if there are 50 people that are righteous there? Will you destroy the city? He says, no, I won't destroy it if there are 50 or 40 or 30. And he goes all the way down to 10 and 5. And he says, I'll check. Abraham intercedes for the wicked. These two angels that were accompanying the Lord arrive in Sodom at the end of the day and plan to stay in the central plaza. But Lot finds them and says, no, no, don't stay in the park. It's dangerous. Come to my house. Stay at my house. A righteous man. 
tri tribulation among wicked people. I hope that's what you would do if there was a stranger living in the central park of your city or maybe in the airport. Lot calls them in, but in the middle of the night, the wicked men of Sodom come to Lot's door and say, hey, we saw two guys that we've never recognized come into your house. We want to have intimacy with them. And the Bible records this wickedness to show us how depraved we can be as human beings. Lot tries to send them away. The angels take charge and they step out and they cast blindness on all of those people and they turn to Lot and his wife and say, see, this place will be destroyed tomorrow. Leave it now so you aren't burned up with it. The mercy of God to warn Lot and his family to come and say, get out. God's judgment is going to fall on this place, but he can't do it with you here. And they delay. Maybe the girls are trying to find their boyfriends. And say, come with us. And in the end, both angels each get one in each hand, Lot and his wife and his two daughters, and they pull them out of that place of sin, that corruption that has increased so greatly. And they say, run to that city over there. Run to the mountains so that you don't get swept away in the just and holy wrath of God. And we know that Lot's wife couldn't quite pull herself away, could she? The angel said, don't look back. And his wife looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt as a reminder to all of us to remember Lot's wife, not to be a part of the corruption that is in the world, to escape it. Don't look. Men, when you're walking down the street, your eye is attracted to a woman's body. That's natural, that's male, that's human, don't look back. Don't look back. Women, when your pride is pricked by an offense, you're tempted to chew on the bitterness of unforgiveness, cast your care on the cross where all the offenses are paid and don't look back. Don't look back escape the corruption that is in the world. We know that Lot's daughters as well had been corrupted because in the cave where they began to live as motherless daughters, they ended up committing incest with their father and creating two of the peoples that were the greatest enemies of Israel in their history. The Moabites and the Ammonites came from the corruption of Sodom. Our call this morning is to come out from among them and be separate. That's 2 Corinthians 6.17. Verse 8 is a parenthesis, and I'd like to take that parenthesis right now. It says, Lot's righteous soul was tormented. And I like the ESV translation better here, so I'm going to say it. It says, He tormented his righteous soul, living among them day by day by the depraved or sensual conduct of the people of Sodom that he saw and heard. Now think of yourself scrolling through Instagram. You see and hear, see and hear, see and hear. And a lot of it is the corruption that is in the world. I'm not telling you what to do. You let the Holy Spirit do that. But I can tell you this, Lot's torment was a prediction of his rescue. I don't think Lot's wife was tormented like he was. 
He suffered in the wickedness that was all around him. He longed for the kingdom of righteousness to reign in his family and his city. Didn't do any good. It says Lot's righteous soul was tormented in the depraved conduct of Sodom. Are you tormented by the depravity or are you just a little bit attracted to it? Now I would say all of us in our flesh are attracted at some point. And we have to not look back. We have to say no to our fleshly temptations. But let the torment of your righteous soul be a promise that you are separated for rescue because Jesus has made you righteous. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See, our rescuer is coming. And he's bringing his wrath and reward with him. Well, Peter says, if, then. If, you might say, since Lucifer and his angels were judged, the world of Noah's day was destroyed by a flood, Sodom and Gomorrah were burned by sulfur that fell out of the sky like rain. If these things are true, and Peter's saying they are, since that happened, and since God rescued Noah and Lot by prophesying his wrath and giving them a way out, God knows how to do two things. Number one, rescue the godly from trials. He knows how to rescue. So don't circumvent the trial. Believe in the storm that God can rescue you whenever he wants. Noah and his family built an ark. Lot and his family escaped Sodom. You might notice the difference. One took his family with him and the other didn't quite make it with his family. I was thinking this week about times that I had been saved and I told one to the kids, there's another one that was a little closer to disaster actually. I was working as a uh, counselor of juvenile delinquents at a program in Florida, a residential program for teenagers who had robbed cars in Orlando. These were rough kids. Uh, it was my best training for working with street kids in Sao Paulo. I never met a street kid in Sao Paulo It was rough as a 15-year-old car thief from Orlando. They were rough kids. My first day there, there was a, a riot, and kids were breaking mops over other people's backs and throwing buckets through the window. And, and I thought, what world is this that I've come to? But I was helping the kids make model rockets one time. Uh, you know, the, the little rockets that have a motor in the back and you push a button and they shoot off and then a parachute comes out and they float to the earth. And I thought this would be a good activity to do with our kids. And uh, there was one particular kid that was small and had, a, had trouble with his rocket, so I helped him all the way through. And it took him several weeks to finish it. And we finally shot it up. And on the first flight, it landed in a tall pine tree. And he just about... Went ballistic, lost his temper, you know, stomping around. And I said, okay, okay, after work, I'll go out there with you and we'll get the thing down out of a pine tree. It was tall, you know, 10, 15 meter pine tree. So after work, I got, I can't remember his name, but I can picture his face. We walked back to the back of the lot and there were these uh, chain link fences. So long aluminum poles that go on top of the chain link fences were lying there. And I thought, oh, perfect. I can reach that rocket with one of those poles. Well, I couldn't quite get it, so I climbed up on a pile of sand that was right, right there. So the kid's sitting there watching me, and I've got this 15-meter pole, you know, like, 
okay, it's not heavy, but it's really long. Climb up on a pile of sand, got the rocket, but lost my balance. And behind me, there was a high tension electrical wire. They told me later that there were 40,000 volts running through that line, and the, the aluminum pole landed on the wire. Well, you know what happened. All that electricity suddenly found a ground through my body. Praise the Lord, the end of the pole was on the sand pile, so some of it was going into the sand straight from the pole, but a lot of it was going right through me and shaking me. I'm screaming. I can't let go of the pole. And here's this guy standing there watching this white man shake. By the grace of God, the weight of my body fell off of the pile of sand, pulled my hands off of the pole, and I landed on the ground on my knees, I think, because the first thing I remember is I'm on my knees yelling out thanks to God. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Because I felt myself going to heaven right there in front of that kid. The Lord is able to rescue you from your trials. Now, I went home and told Susanna, hey, I almost died of electrocution today, and she's making supper, and oh, really? <laughs> I took off my shoes, and I said, look, at the end of every toe, there was a burn hole where the, the electricity had come out of the bottom. I wish I had saved those socks and framed them just to say, the Lord is able to rescue you. <laughs> it does give you a sense of confidence, even in your stupidity, right? He can rescue you. Believe him. Trust him. Trust only him for your rescue because God knows how to rescue you. I believe Peter knew the same thing that I do and even more because Jesus had also rescued him. That's the second thing Peter says he knows. He knows how to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Now he's talking about false teachers here, but I believe he's for a moment opened it up to everybody. Don't take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Believe that wrath is coming and build your ark. Leave your, your wicked uh, environment so that you can be holy and see the Lord. Flee to the rescue that the Lord has given you. Like Lucifer, like the people of Noah's day, and like the people of Sodom, the world will be judged. The world will be judged. Great wrath, just wrath is coming. Verse 10 adds a caveat. Especially, I think Peter is turning now to the church, especially those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh. Where does corruption come from? It comes from inside of me. It comes from my own desires that I'm tempted to follow. Whatever that temptation might be for you and for me. This week I heard, again, a great quote by G.K. Chesterton. The London Times did a, did a, a series of articles and said, what's wrong with the world? What's, what's the problem in the world? Do you remember this? And they wrote to G.K. Chesterton and said, we'd love for you to write an article about this question. What's the matter with the world? And he wrote back a one-line answer that says, dear sirs, I am. That's it. My corrupt desires are the source of sin in the world like every other human being who is justly an object of wrath, like Paul says in Ephesians 2. Those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and secondly, those who despise 
authority. Peter's applying what he's saying about false teachers to all of us. All of us fall into these two categories. All of us have corrupt desires that we are tempted to follow, and we have authority over us that we are tempted to despise. Do you notice that you can obey kids and still despise your authority? Honor your father and mother means do it joyfully. Make it easy for them. Do it quickly. Don't delay. Don't despise authority. Why not? Because that's what Lucifer does. And you're not supposed to follow Lucifer. Don't follow corrupt desires of the flesh. And don't follow rebellion. Follow the suffering servant who went down to the lowest place, who came into the city mounted on a donkey, humble, serving, not seeking to be served. Don't despise your authority. And Calvary, let me challenge you not to despise your deacons. Yes, I know they're just like you. Yes, I know they are sinners too. God has put them over us. For this particular time, it's a time of running off the ends of a track. We're like a train that ran off the ends of the track and we're trying to find the new track of elder-led model church. And for right now, don't despise your deacons. Pray for them. Call out to God for wisdom, for new leadership, for our new direction as we go into the future. Because the wrath of God is coming, and especially on those who follow corrupt desires and who despise authority. Let's bring this to an end. What will we have? Wrath or rescue? What will you choose? Are you following your own sensuality and that of the world around you? That's where corruption comes from. Do you despise authority? You know, uh, Brother Rick Denham talked to me this week about my sermon from last week and said, I really loved what you said, but you missed a perfect opportunity to preach the gospel. Verse 2 says, The way of truth is blasphemed because of how you follow sensuality and lies. The way of truth is what? John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. God didn't make hell for us, says Billy Graham. He made it for the devil and his angels. When Jesus suffered and died on the cross and descended into hell, God judged him in your place. He punished him for our sin. Because of who he was, who he is, Jesus endured the just wrath of God so that the, the demands of holiness and love could be upheld. Beautiful. That's the way. That's the rescue. That's how you choose rescue. Jesus, you went to hell for me, so I don't have to go. I'm coming in the door of the ark because I don't want to die under your wrath. I don't want to be judged forever for my sin. So what is the gospel? What is the good news? There's an easy way to remember it, and I want you to practice this week. I'm going to put it up on the screen in a minute. I want you to make a, make a mental note. I'm going to practice this somewhere this week. Four things. The gospel is God, good, creator, just. He loves the world so much he sent his son that those who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Sin. Why is the world so messed up? You can start here with your neighbor. 
What's the matter with this place? It works so well in some ways, and yet in other ways it's a mess. What's the problem? Get them to sin. If you have never watched, um, oh, what's the short Australian guy's name? Uh, Comfort. Comfort, Ray Comfort. Look up YouTube videos of Ray Comfort. This is what he does. What is sin? He he interviews people on the beach in California. It's beautiful. Brings them to the point of admitting they're a lying, adulterous wretch and they need forgiveness from God. Because he starts with the problem of sin. Not very popular, but true. Point number three is Jesus. All have sinned. The wages of sin is death. God shows his love for us in this, that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Jesus loves you and wants to save you. And then finally, our response. What do we do? If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Receive him. Believe on his name. Cry out to him. Repent. All of those things. There's all kinds of verses, but we have to respond. You have to go in the door of Christ like Noah and his family went in the door of the ark. God, sin, Jesus, response. The gospel is the way of rescue. But you know, what Peter's saying here is he's able to rescue from trials, right? So how is this your rescue from trials? I remembered verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2 this week. As you received him, so walk in him. Believe that God is able that he knows the timing, he understands your pain, and trust him in the trial to be your ark over that flood. He's your ark. Get into him deeper and deeper in the trial and know that justice is coming and it delays for God's glory and for your growth. Choose rescue this morning. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for this word from Peter. We can't imagine what it's like to see fire falling out, for, out of heaven. But we know it's going to happen again. Your word says. It won't be by water next time. That you are coming with your holy angels to judge the nations with righteousness. Hide us under your wings. Holy Savior. I pray for anyone that's hearing my voice, even online right now, that if they have never trusted you for the sufficient payment of their sin, that they would run to you, that they would cry out for forgiveness, that they would find rescue in you, Lord Jesus, believing that you love us, believing that you are able to do more than we ask or think as we trust you, as we believe in you. Just before we finish, if your heart has followed sensuality, if you're trying to save yourself or be God, just repent of that right now. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I know you're God. You're the only God. Be Lord of my life. Sit on my throne. Rule over me. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. He'll do it. He'll save you. Believe it. Repent. In Jesus' name, amen.